All right, well, I'm going to jump right in because I've got about 20 minutes. And this is, see, watching everything going on. Oh, real quick, we got to pray for Sister Vashta. Everybody just stretch your hand. We're going to pretend our hand's on her. <laughs> Cause we're to, but her and Ricky are traveling this week. Where are you headed to? We're going to pray that God keep you well, safe, and out of danger. But also, everywhere you go, that you bring peace. Because it's... it's it, that's it. And leave a... Okay, well, let's pray. Father God, I thank you right now that your word says that you give your angels charge around about us to keep us in all of our ways. I thank you on the highways, on the plains, as Levi and Sister Vashta and Ricky are traveling this week, that you're keeping them well safe out of danger. That everywhere they go, peace surrounds them. They won't find themselves at the wrong place at the wrong time. There won't be anything able to erupt around them when they enter into situations. And that you'll bring them back well safe and out of danger. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. It, um, this message I'm going to share today, um, we're living in a very unusual time. It is, um, right now across our nation, we are seeing the most horrific, horrible things happen. At the same time, we're seeing some of the greatest things we could imagine in our lifetimes taking place. We're watching in society some of the worst and horrible things people could do at the same time. We're seeing people stand up and do right and righteous things and love. I mean, it's amazing what we're seeing take place in front of us. But I want to address today, and I know I'm not the... I tell people, I've been saying this all week. I've, I've thrown a lot of this message on a lot of a lot of you guys in here this week because I've been needing to get a, what I guess I call it a uh, reaction, or I needed to get a... Uh, um, a bouncing ball, a bouncing board to know because I'm not the right one to be doing this. But because of the position I hold, I have to. And going into this as a church and as a nation, we can't put our head in the sand and pretend it's not going on because the truth is it is affecting every single person in here one way or another. And God cares about what we care about. And, you know, I know a lot of churches are going to be afraid to step in the direction that I'm going to try to step into today. And I ask you, you know my heart. If I do step wrongly, I'm not known to be the smartest talker. Um, if I step wrong, I pray that you listen to the whole thing and get my heart on it. Because I could say it wrong. But I was talking with Dad yesterday and I felt like the Lord told me that I have a responsibility to tell our church what it is. Uh, the question Wednesday night... One of the ones at the end were, well, what can we do? I believe that's the heart of the whole church. What can we do? And I'm not going to talk about God. I believe I have a word from God today on what we should do and what we must do. And so I'm going to jump into these things real quickly. And um, in this service, I'll elaborate probably more in the other service. But we are, as a nation, on the verge of a revival that is about to change the planet as we know it. But the truth is, before God can change things, things have to be exposed so that people will understand and receive and know that change needs to come about. So when God shows up. In other words, in times past, when things if things didn't get bad, people didn't recognize they needed the Lord. All right? What's happening in our nation now is 
I believe personally that God is exposing things in our nation that have to be dealt with so the revival that's about to come can be received and accepted. And it will save as many as possible when God pours out His Holy Spirit. I believe we're in the last days. So I'm going to jump right into it. On We're going to just deal with and I'm going to talk about some... Like I said, I, I, I honestly, I feel awkward or insecure, even to the point um, unqualified to talk about the things we're going to today. For this reason, my dad and mom did not raise me seeing color. And that's a kind of a white catchphrase for sure. But it, um, they raised us not just seeing color. My parents raised us in an environment, though, that I don't see the difference in skin. But I was also taught that your skin did not determine who you were and to where I didn't just accept black people. Mom and dad taught me to respect black people. There's a difference in not just accepting black people and respecting black people. Most of the spiritual authorities in my life, even in God parents of my that my family chose, were black people. My sister's godmother is Vanny Haygood. She is Raised my ch- my sister from the child up to now. When Crystal, uh, when Gabby comes home for holidays, Mother's Day and stuff, she takes a Mother's Day gift to Vanny's house, just like she takes one to my mom's house. We were literally not raised seeing that there is any tone, time, or any way different in the tone of your skin. Now that's a good thing, you would think. I grew up with my best friends being people of color, um, and as a matter of fact. I benefited a lot of times out of having friends that were of color because I was a little guy and I ran my mouth a whole lot and my friends of color kept me from getting in a lot of messes a lot of times. I mean, it's just the truth. And so I did not think that I was an issue until we began to sell. The problem with my raising was this. I never treated a person of color any different I even treated them with respect because that's what I was taught. I was taught to treat the people in your life that deserve respect, respect, give honor where honors due. And so my problem was I never, because I wasn't the problem, I did not see what my friends were going through as well. Does that make sense? We go in a room. They may feel like they were being treated differently and they were obviously in circumstances done, but I never saw it. So here we find ourselves in this situation and I totally understand what's going on, but I didn't understand why it was going on. And so, over the last several weeks, I have specifically focused my attention on understanding as much of what I can so that I can, if I'm going to be a part of this, see, me and Pastor Morris talking this way, none of us are at fault for what we know because it was taught to us. But now it will be up to us what we learn. And if you were taught wrong, at this moment and this time, it's your responsibility to find out what's right. And so, you know, in a lot of areas, that's what I'm doing in my life. You know, yesterday I was at a Black Lives Matter uh, rally. And in the process, you know, my father marched in a Black Lives Matter, a Matter uh, parade last week. Doing those things, it's amazing. Because... It's, when you say Black Lives Matter right now, it, you get this reaction of yes, and you get this reaction of all lives matter. Well, the truth is, all lives do matter. But 
Just like on my birthday, we don't celebrate you. On your birthday, you don't celebrate me. There are moments in time that it's not the bright moment for everybody or the same moment for everybody. And right now, I believe in our nation, when uh, the Jews went through Holocaust, the focus was on the Jews. And that was right. It was we needed to get them out of the mess they were in. And right now, of course, God's made every life. And I'm going to say that honestly, but right now, Black Lives Matter is what needs to be said. Because it is at a different moment in history. We're at the moment where things can change. Things have to change. And I believe things are going to change. And so there are times like... I always, I'm excited about your birthday. But if it's not your birthday, I'm not going to tell you happy birthday. Alright? Right now is the day that what needs to be said is Black Lives Matter. As a matter of fact, um, last week people were jumping on our Camden's Facebook page and things saying, All Loves Matter, that's so racist. And we had to delete several other comments being made. Right now, there are times that certain things need to be said, certain things need to be heard. And right now, that is not a wrong statement. Now, it is, I'm going to be honest with you, it's weird um, for a white guy to say Black Lives Matter and it be a political stance, but it's the truth. People need to know Black Lives Matter. There's times that people need to know unborn children matter. They matter all the time, but there are days that we need to make that stand. And so I'm going to just jump into a lot of issues that we're facing. I believe God has given me a direct word about today that we need to understand. And as a church, we need to know what to do. Um, jumping right off, you need to understand that racism is a demonic spirit. The purpose of racism is to cause people to die and go to hell. Racism is not a new mentality. Racism is not just an American stain. Racism goes all the way back into uh, the Old Testament when it was the Jewish people that were being oppressed by the Egyptians. Racism is not a new thing. It's not even just a black thing or just a white thing. Or an, Racism is a demonic spirit. You need to go back to understanding that what we're facing is not cultural issues. We are dealing with spiritual issues. And the spirit of racism and the spirit of prejudice is a demonic spirit. And the purpose behind a spirit of racism and prejudice is to cause people to die and go to hell. This is as serious as anything and as serious as the gospel as it can possibly be. Because in the spirit of racism are two things embedded two tools that the devil tries to use behind the spirit of racism. Number one is hate. Well, in 1 John uh, 4, 7 and 8, it says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. It says, But he that loveth not... Alright, when you take the loveth not, the next statement says, He knoweth not God. Anyone that does not come into the knowledge of God, you need to understand, is dying and going to hell. 
Now, the devil would love to get us to believe that that's not true. A statistic in George Barna's book uh, he put out a few years ago says that 51% of people that attend and go to church don't even believe that there's a real hell. Let me tell you something. If the enemy can convince you that there's not a hell, he can also convince you there's nothing wrong with being a racist or being prejudiced or having something against someone else. You need to understand, I can prove that racism is a spirit. It's a deceit. The Bible says that the devil is the, the father of all lies. You need to know that there is no difference between me and anyone else that has a different tone of skin than I do because of this. Every one of our blood is red. And every one of our spirits are the same color. The Bible says that every one of our spirits were made in the image and likeness. Likeness is an appearance. Alright, skin is nothing but an appearance. It says, so my spirit is the same color as your spirit. My blood is the same color as your blood. Now, we may have a different tone on the outside and that's okay. Because I believe the way God made us, He did it with purpose. And there's purpose connected to the tone of our skin. And I believe that God will use you according to that purpose. Because there are certain ways God can use me because of the tone of my skin in certain places and different things to expose things that maybe He can't use you. But then there's God can use you in certain ways that I can't be used because it's not into our purpose. We all have a purpose. But so racism is a demonic spirit that is, uh, is, is sent in to try to send people to hell. You can see racism, prejudice in the Bible, and it's ear. I mean, you can see how it tried to send people to hell um, when you'd see Peter and Paul. The Bible says that Peter and Paul were, you, everybody knows, Peter was the one that God said, I'm going to build my church on you. This is the rock. I'm going to use you to build the church. But the Bible says, as they were going forward, says that when the gospel began to spread, it would, uh, Paul wanted to, God, Paul, God told Paul to begin to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Bible says Peter and a group of guys walked in a room and the Gentiles were there believing and it says they pulled away from them. Didn't even want to sit with them. Didn't even want them to have the, have the gospel. Didn't believe that they were worthy. It was fine right off being racism or prejudice. And Paul, uh, Peter, Paul stood up in public and corrected them publicly because Paul saw that the demonic spirit was trying to send the Gentiles to hell. I mean, it's just the truth. If they weren't able to receive the gospel, they would die and go to hell. This is a heaven and hell issue that we're facing right now in America. And it will determine, because here, if, if you are prejudiced and you have the hate, the Bible says you can't even know God. So Paul, the enemy was trying to creep into Paul's life. And it would have took, discounted the Gentiles and it would have disqualified him from being affected by the gospel. This is a spiritual thing. And that's what I want to bring it about. This is not a cultural thing. This is not a history thing. This is a spiritual thing. There's a demonic spirit of racism, prejudice, that is trying to send people to hell. And so we're going to address it as a church. Because if it's a spiritual thing and it's not a cultural thing. Because I, you know, I don't always believe that the church should have to get into political things or cultural things or, or social issues. That, but I know God has called the church to deal with spiritual issues all the time. And racism and prejudice is a spiritual thing. People will die and go to hell if they allow prejudice and racism to exist in their life. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says it. It says, you can't even know God. Let me read the rest of that scripture to you. It says this. It says, um, it says, 
It says, in this love, not that we loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also love one another. So it is a gospel issue. It is a salvation issue. And you cannot have two, you can't, the Bible says you can't serve two masters. You either love one, hate the other, you despise the other, you know, or you uh, favor one, despise the other is what it says. And so you cannot, cannot allow the spirit of prejudice and racism to be in your life and you serve God. Can't do it. And so this is a heaven and hell issue. All right? Now the problem with this, like I say, number one tool the devil uses with the racism spirit is hatred. The number two tool that the devil tries to use. And this is the one that is very... He, I mean, I tell you, he is slick as he can possibly be, the devil is. The deceiver. How do you know when you're deceived? Well, that's the very problem with deception. You can't. You can't know that you're deceived if you're deceived. You can only be shown revelation and then you can change. Alright? Now, everyone that has come into the knowledge of Christ pretty much understands that hatred is a sin. Now, the next tool the devil uses behind racism and then behind uh, prejudice is the word justice. Now, this is a very tricky word. Let me lay some history out on justice for you real quick. 28 times in the Old Testament, Hebrews have a word for justice. And it shows up 28 times in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the word justice is not mentioned one time. Because Greek does not have a word for justice as we know. And right off, people say, well, I know the Scripture, and it says, you know, the just shall live by faith. Well, that was an English translation crossed over out of Greek because there is not a word in the New Testament that we give the definition of justice on. As a matter of fact, there is the word there that in the original Greek, instead of it being where it says the just shall live by faith, the actual word there, I'm going to try to pronounce this for you, is dikoinesia. It's a big, weird Greek word. But it means righteousness slash justice because there is not a word for the word justice. So everywhere in the New Testament, that we've put the word justice in, it was this word, dekonisia, which the same word has been translated righteousness and justice in the same place. Because in the New Testament, justice was not to be served, righteousness was to be lived. Now, In the New Testament, when we read it in the King James and in the New King James, you will see the word just and justice. In the original Greek, it goes back to the word dekonisia. And they put that word justice in the New Testament as justice. And all the other times, they would put it the same word as righteousness when it dealt with two different things. If it was a criminal matter... In a setting in the context in the New Testament, dekonisia was put into English terminology as justice. If it dealt with social, spiritual, or relational with God or people, it was put as righteousness. 
For example, in Matthew chapter 6, it says this. It says, when you give your alms to the poor, which is a righteous act. That's the same word, decodonesia, but because it's put into a social, relational, spiritual, or uh, um, uh, a cultural setting, it was they translated it into um, righteousness. When it dealt with crime or dealt with uh, a breaking of a law, it was put the same word as in justice. Now, I say that, I've got to draw this out to you. Because you say, Craig, why are you saying this kind of stuff? Because the devil, just like he tries to convince in the spirit behind of racism that hatred is okay. You can still be right with God and still dislike people like Paul did with um, the uh, Gentiles or with you know the way the Samaritans were going. Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he tells the story of the good Samaritan. All right. he, he, in the New Testament, we have to change the way things were done altogether. In the Old Testament, people couldn't be right with God. They could be covered by the blood of lambs. But in the New Testament, everything changed. Now, the church has taught for years that righteousness is a, something that deals with your relationship with God. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. And for years the church has put the focus on that word meaning that we have right standing with the Lord. That is not the complete definition of that word. Even in the Deconisii, it has a two-point meaning. It means this. Number one, it says Deconisii is being right and righteous before others and in relationship and then, and that's, that's mentioned in Matthew chapter 5. It talks about my acts. I, as the righteous is a verb and a noun. That's, there's, it's weird when you've got verbs and nouns, but righteousness, this word, dekonisia, can be verbs and nouns. Now, it says in um, Matthew 5, 20, it says that we're to be righteous between each other. What that means is there's a right way and a wrong way. That me and someone should interact. There's a right way and a wrong way. That me and someone should live. There's a right way. And it's not just justice. It's not, the right, it's not justice isn't right. It's righteousness isn't right before the Lord. Just like in, when you get into uh, to Romans 1, it, the word righteousness, the other meaning is you have right standing before God. So it's not righteousness is just not something spiritual between you and the Lord. The righteous work that God does on the inside of us should be done in the side of us so that we can be connected with the relationship between us and the Lord. But it should also have to be, have to be done between me and everyone else. Righteousness, God does the work in us and we have to live it out. I want you to understand something. Righteousness is such a better answer. You say, well, cricket, I, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't know, um, I don't see the difference in justice and righteousness. Well, in Isaiah chapter 33, verse 5, it says this. The Lord is exalted, for He dwells on high. He has filled, he has filled Zion with justice. Remember, this is Old Testament. Justice is in there. And He says, and righteousness. Justice and righteousness are two totally different things. In the Old Testament, justice... Was rule, would, would be the way that God would have to deal with things. That's why when you read in the Bible, I mean, God's a just God. And you read in the Bible and it would be horrible like when Achan sinned and hid stuff in the camp and they lost a battle. He was stoned and his whole family was stoned. That's, I mean, it sounds like the kids were innocent. I mean, that's some hard stuff. 
But see, in the Old Testament, people had to live through justice. Because Jesus hadn't changed the game. In the New Testament, Jesus changed the game. And so, note that's why justice is not one time written in the New Testament. Because there's a higher way of living. The problem is, racism and prejudice wants us to demand justice. I want to talk about the danger of justice here in just a minute. But I want to show you this. Here in uh, Isaiah 32, 16, read the difference between justice and righteousness. It says, Then justice will dwell in the wilderness. And it says, And righteousness remain in the fruitful field. He says, there are, they, they both exist, but one of them is better than the other. And here he says, you know, Justice will remain in the wilderness. The world's answer to what's going on right now is justice. That's why people are claiming justice for George Floyd. People are claiming justice for all the years of police brutality and all the years of racial differencing. And they're, they're, they're demanding justice. And this is the reason why. Because the world does not have a spiritual answer for this. And when you don't have a spiritual answer for something, you have to go to what the world has to offer. And the world has to offer justice to what's going on here. And I tell you, the devil loves, in the sense of racism and prejudice, the devil loves for us to think or get behind the idea that justice is what we need. But I'm here to give a word today. We don't need justice. We need righteousness. There's a better way. We could get through this thing with justice. But justice has a price that must be paid for. Righteousness, the price has been paid. I want to talk just a minute, and hopefully I'm making sense on this, but there, there is a difference. And the Bible talks about justice and righteousness. And so, when I saw the things that I saw on the news, I got to be what do I do with the feelings that I have? What do I do with the... Uh, I'm, I'm just going to be blunt with you real quick. Right? When I saw the young man get shot by the two guys that was jogging and running, it broke my heart. I mean, I was watching it, and I was like, man, that mom, that, that kid was not in the wrong place, not doing the wrong thing just out and men got shot out of hatred in men's heart. Broke my heart in that. When I saw George Floyd get the knee put on his neck, I'm going to say, it did not break my heart. It made me mad. A man that was supposed to be protecting him, whether he was in the right or in the wrong, when they put the badge on, their job is to protect and to serve. And there's a higher responsibility held to people that are to be put into authority. And I, got to, I did not have the same feeling. And so I'm not, I don't know what your feelings, I'm not telling you what you're supposed to feel or what you're supposed to, I'm just telling you what mine were. Now the thing is, what am I supposed to do with these? Because when I saw George die, I got angry and I wanted justice. So we got to fix that, that cop needs to pay, you know, all, going through all the anger emotions. When I saw the young kid die, broke my heart. I said, I got to fix this. We got, we, something's got to change yeah, because of the things going on. And it's been this way. And how could we have gotten so far? And I had all these feelings and emotions. I got to be honest with you. You may not understand them because I know that depending on your background and your upbringing and your experiences, your feelings are different because we've not been all through the same thing. So my thing is this. 
as an answer to what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it. I felt like the Lord told me we have to understand that we're not like everyone else. We have a better option. Justice can be served. But the problem with justice is this. The Bible says that judge not, and a lot of people stop at that Scripture. Right there. Oh, you're not supposed to judge. Oh, you're not. There is a place for judgment. Now the Bible says, if that's what we choose, our life will be like in the wilderness. But then there's a better way. And we could choose righteousness. But the Bible says, if you choose justice... Justice is a plumb line, or it has, a, it has to be the same. For justice to be just, it has to be the same across the board all the way down through. It's like I, I've told this story with my little girls before. Um, Alexis would want me to, Haley would do something, and Alexis would want me to deal with it and spank her. And I wouldn't want to. Because I loved her so much, I didn't want to, but she needed me to. And Alexis would demand that I would do it. And so, I would do it. But when I would do it, that meant, when Alexis messes up, there's a new standard. That I couldn't give her mercy, because she wanted justice. And i got to be honest with you. They ended up both getting spanked, but it was harder on me than it was harder on anybody. Justice has to be served if we demand justice. And God is a just God. Think about it, there's a better way. I wish so much at times that Alexis would have gave Haley favor and grace so that in the future I could give her favor and grace. But justice demands, that's why it says, judge not lest you be judged, because in the same manner, likewise, you will be judged. And in right now, what's going on, we do need justice. But if we settle for justice, all of our lives will be affected in a negative way. Because that's not what we have available to us now. In the Old Testament, it was only justice. In the New Testament, or they had just and righteousness. In the New Testament, we only have righteousness. But if we demand to live in justice, and so I just want to read real quick, because the devil would love for us to get justice as our battleground and as our battle cry. Now, let me explain this about righteousness. Oh, I, I got to go. Righteousness is not sitting by and letting it happen. Righteousness is not ignoring or just pretending like we're more spiritual. No, we have these... Fin- I was at the, te- at the protest yesterday for this reason. I believe righteousness has to take a stand. All the way through the Bible, people had to stand for righteousness. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to stand and say, I am not going to go against my God. Even if it meant that they went into a fiery furnace. Now, Daniel stood in protest. The law was, you cannot pray to any other God. The Bible says, and you say, well, no, he was just... He would be, no, the Bible says he opened his window. Opened his window and prayed. They, that was a protest. But he was doing it righteously. Alright? And David, King David, when the, the, the demonic spirit 
got after, uh, the Bible says a demonic spirit would come and rest upon Saul. And it would cause him to rise up in hatred and anger. And he would pursue Saul. And he would chase him into the wilderness. And he would get Saul, uh, David trapped into caves and trying to kill him. The Bible says that David at that point, would, he, when he had the opportunity, he would get up on a hill and he would stand and say, Hey Saul, you've gone too far. I could, but you need to stop. I believe righteousness must be spoken for. But I also believe if I demand justice, then I receive justice. I've got to be honest with you. I don't want what I deserve. The Bible says we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I don't want what I deserve, but I want our future to be better. Justice says we're going to pay for what's in the past. Righteousness says tomorrow is going to be better than it was yesterday. We have a better way. I want to read this here real quick and we're going to dismiss. The best picture of justice versus righteousness in the Bible that I have found is when Jesus, in the book of John verse chapter 8, when Jesus, the Bible says, now early in the morning, He came into the temple and all the people came into Him and He sat down and taught them. He set himself into a place of a teacher. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that the Pharisees at that time, it says the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, and although they were coming to find out what the answer for this situation was. Alright? It says, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses... In the law, it says, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This that this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him of. So if he would have, they, they came to him and they wanted to man justice. But check out what they saw. If he would have chose justice, the Bible says they would have had something to accuse him for. So what that tells me here is this. When it's spiritual matters and we try to deal with them in a worldly way, then it is a transgress or a sin. And this is what Jesus did. The Bible said he didn't stay sitting. When he was sitting, he was in a place of judgment. That's what judges do. They sit in chairs and they judge. And the Bible said this. The Bible said the first thing he did was he rose up. He took authority. You need to know something. This is not the time for the church to lay down. This is not the time for the church to ignore. Jesus rose up and took authority over that room right there. I want you to know something. God wants the church to rise up right now in these moments and take the authority because this is a spiritual matter. And then the Bible said this. The Bible says that He went down. He went from judgment to authority. Then the Bible says He went down and He knelt down into the dust. He moved into a place of righteousness. Righteousness always feels like submission. You ever been in an argument? And in, the, in that argument, you knew you needed to say you were sorry? Even if you wasn't wrong, but maybe by the way you talked or the action you did. And it was so hard. And it felt so wrong. You felt like you would lose if you did. Because righteousness is the most powerful tool 
Christians have. And the enemy would love for us to not use the most powerful tool. But if you use righteousness in a place of standing, it becomes self-righteousness. That's why in the Bible it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, move to a place where they can act out of righteousness and not out of self-righteousness. Because I've got to be honest with you, it's real easy in times like this for us to move into self-righteousness. And so it does take a humbling approach. Your heart has to be right. To be in righteousness and for me to live in righteousness. Righteousness is not something that God did for me only. It's something that I am held accountable to live in and live the way it's supposed to be lived. Just like it is my, you know, it, it is my responsibility to repent of my sin. It is my responsibility to live righteously. And I couldn't do it until God did the work in me. But now that He's done the work in me, I have to make the choice to do the work in the world. And so the Bible says that Jesus knelt down and check out what he did. He knelt down, the Bible says, and he began to write in the sand. In the sand. And it says, as he began to write in the sand, nobody knows what he ever wrote in the sand. Some pe- preacher says he believed he started writing out the people that were standing before him sin. Because it said they left according to age, oldest to youngest, they began to slip out in conviction. That's what it says. And some people believe he was writing their sins because if they were demanding justice, he was showing them, if I give you what you want, I have to give you what you deserve. And the Bible says they all got out of there as quick as they could. And this is what the Bible says. It says he walked over to, I mean, as he did, he said, but then he took her and he lifted her up. And this is what he said. And this is the difference between justice and righteousness. He said, go and sin no more. The voice of righteousness always tells us what we can do better. Now, let me show you to you in modern day society, and hopefully I'm going to unfold this and I'll be done. Give me five more minutes. We've seen this happen in our history. In the 70s, when our nation faced the same thing, the, the, the nation was in a, an unrest in the biggest part of our civil rights movement ever. And there were two major figures that stood on the stages those days. One of them was Martin Luther King Jr. And one of them was Malcolm X. Now, and I know my dad's like, hey, you really want to say that? I got to. I got to tell us. Because this, going back, this is a heaven and hell issue. You got to, this is a heaven and hell issue. Malcolm X declared, and what everything he was saying about the racial injustice was true. Not denying a thing that he said was true. And he wanted and demanded and was willing to fight and die for justice. Malcolm X is in hell today. And not only is he in hell today, but he took countless thousands and I would say even up to millions of people to hell with him. Malcolm X was a Muslim. Christian faith teaches righteousness. Muslim faith teaches justice. That's why it says kill every infidel. And although he was 100% right about the injustice, he demanded justice. But the result out of his 
He died and went to hell. He got what He deserved because He demanded, give them what they deserve. And that's the line of justice. Was it God's plan for him to go to hell? No. But he was a Muslim. He did not believe in the faith that he said. How do you know he's in hell? Because he was a Muslim. He died a Muslim. There's only one way to heaven. And that is Jesus Christ. But in that time, the conversion rate was the largest conversion rate of American Muslims in history. Because he was demanding justice over a social injustice. And because he was demanding justice, people stood up behind it, and the enemy used it, and they put him up there and they said, you know what, he's right. So they accepted his faith. And if I go to a prison today in America, there are more African-American Muslim young black men than there are African-American Christians. Because a man stood on a stage and demanded justice and something they were going through. And I'm here to tell you, they're dying and going to hell. But Martin Luther King took the same stage. And he did not demand justice. He demanded righteousness. And you've got to understand that there's a difference and you can tell the difference because when people only talk about what has happened and people need to pay for what's happened, that's justice. Martin Luther King says, I have a dream that one day, where the Bible says the just shall live by faith, that's the same word, deconisia, righteousness shall live by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Righteousness always speaks to where we're going, and it's not where we are, and it's not where we've been, but we're going to be a part of this thing. We're in it together, but we're going to, when this comes over, we don't try to demand justice for what's done. We as a church were to repent. It says, My people that are called by my name, if they'll humble themselves and pray, turn from there. If we will take the choice to repent, and we will declare righteousness. The Bible says God can heal our land. So what does the church do right now? This is what I feel like. What do we do? This is what we have to do. Righteousness has to be done. It has to be a choice we make. And it has to be something we choose to live. This is what must be done. Number one, we have to pray. If we're going to be righteous in this season, we have to pray. And it can't be just, Lord, pray, stop. We need to ask God to pour His Spirit out on our nation. Let me, let me tell you what happens when righteous comes. New Testament, not Old Testament. Bible says, in the Holy Ghost, when the Prince of the Holy Ghost is there, there are three things that take place. First thing, righteousness. We get to choose. If we will choose righteousness as a church... That means right living, right relationship, right interaction, treating people rightly. Not just our opinion of it, but the way God tells us to. Then what happens in this situation, I begin to pray for every person that is affected in this, whether I understand it or not. I begin to pray for those that are hurting and help. And in, in I, I have to pray. And it has to be serious to me. Number two. Righteousness has to say. You must speak righteousness. And it's real easy to speak justice. It's real easy to point out the wrong. 
But if you can't have one in leadership seminar, they've been on. They say you know you're not. A, you can always tell your true leaders because they don't bring you a problem without a solution. That's righteousness. Righteous don't ignore the wrong, but what they do is they tell you how to go from here. Millions of African American people in America have died and went to heaven because Martin Luther King understood that there's a difference between righteousness and justice, and he chose the better way. As a church, the Bible says if we'll do this, if we'll choose righteousness, the next thing that the Holy Spirit does is brings peace. There's righteousness, peace, the Bible says, and then it says joy in the Holy Ghost. When we make the choice, what do we do? We do right. So number one, if we're going to make that choice, we're going to have to pray. It has to, praying over this issue in our nation right now must be a number one prayer of our church and in your personal life. Every time you feel like talking about it, you need to make yourself pray about it. And this will begin to God will use it. Number two, you've got to say. Man, when people are talking justice, you must speak up for righteousness. That's what David did. So I'm not going to touch the Lord nor but hey, this is not right. If you want me to do what you're doing, I'll cut you in the cave, but I'm not going to do that. He said, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do it God's way. And then the last thing I believe the Lord told me to do is say, we have to stay. That means this is not a time to jump ship. This is not a time to go try to do it on your own. We've got to stay. You've got to be a part of the church. You've got to let your voice be heard. You've got to pray together, stay together. You've got to be involved in this thing. I, I, I was telling them yesterday at the protest, when I first got there, some people that I know were there. And when I first walked up, they walked away. And at first I was like, I wanted to judge it. But man, I'm here. And then I remember what I'm studying to preach and I thought, they don't know why I'm here. They don't know if I'm standing against this thing or standing for this thing because I hadn't said anything yet. And so then we knelt down for 8 minutes and 45 seconds. That's a long time. I felt like the Lord told me a few weeks ago this. Some victories are going to take a little time, but they're worth it. Joshua was in the a battle against five kings. And the battle got laid into the day. And the Bible says that the cave kings were slipping away into caves. And he understood that the victory over this battle was so important that he asked God to stop the sun. And you know them guys that were battling on that battlefield. They've been battling all day. You know they were tired in the battle. You know they were thinking, my God, is this ever going to end? But I'm here to tell you, it'll end when we get the victory. And I believe we don't give up till we do. And so, it may, we're in for a long day. I'm okay with that. Because the victory is going to be so great that we will ride on the rest of our lives with this thing. But it's going to take us praying, saying, and staying together. It, it matters if you're here. You don't understand. People are watching this church because we're one of the only interracial or multicultural churches in this city. They're watching to see how we're going to handle this thing. And if we don't stay together, you need to understand something. That this church is a light in this city. It's been prophesied over. But the Bible says that you're a light and I'm a light. But then the rest of that scripture goes another level and it says we are a city set on a hill that cannot be. Do you know I can't be a city by myself? I'm just a light. 
It takes more than one light to be a city. And so for us to fulfill that and do what we're called to do, we have to make the decision, I'm going to be involved in what's going on in this situation. Amen? And so this is what the Lord told me to say. That we must take the responsibility to pray. We must take the responsibility to say, we've got to speak what's righteous, not what's right. What's righteous, there's difference. That, yes, God made us all equal. Yes, God, we are all in the image of God. Yes, people should be treated better than what they're being treated. Yes, people should be paid the same, no matter what color you're. People, education should be... I didn't know, but this is what the Bible said. I mean, I was at that protest yesterday, and this is what they said. I didn't understand a lot going on there, but the last guy got up to speak. This is what he said. He said, um, he got up and he goes, we will not be satisfied. That word just blew me back. He said, we will not be satisfied. They they didn't say, we are angry about police brutality. He didn't. He said, what this is about, we will not be satisfied until um, economic equality comes when black men get paid the same as white men. And I love that. I agree. And he said, we will not be satisfied until education equality where black predominantly schools get the same amount of funding as white predominantly schools. I love that. Absolutely. He said, we will not be satisfied to the arrest rates or equality to where more black men aren't arrested for the same crimes. I mean, white men are getting off with crimes to where black men are not. I agree with that. But still the point of satisfied. And this is what the Lord told me while I was standing there. He said in Matthew chapter 5, He said this, If we will hunger and thirst for righteousness... He says, we will be blessed. He said, blessed are those that are hungry. That's what he was saying. He said, we're so hungry for this. We're so thirsty for this. We are not satisfied. We want this. But the Bible says that we'll get it if we will hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does the church do at this moment? We pray. We say. We stay. And we hunger and thirst after righteousness. Father God, I ask You to pour Your Spirit out on our church. Where such a spirit of righteousness rises up on the inside of us. God, I don't want justice. I don't want what I deserve. Oh, but God, I want what You paid for. And You were willing to pay the price of Jesus. So I ask You, Lord... What You did for us, pour Your Spirit of righteousness out on us and on our nation and on our people. And Lord, then cause Your peace that surpasses all understanding. Once You're righteous here, cause peace for God because we long for joy in the Holy Ghost. Lord, I ask You to forgive us in any way that we may have been a part of knowingly and unknowingly that would allow the devil to get a foothold in our society. Like if we humble ourselves, Lord, and we ask You to heal our lands. But we know it can't be done worldly. It's a spiritual issue. God, don't let any more men die and go to hell. Don't let any more men die and go to hell because we're not making this a spiritual issue. But Lord, let us be a light. And as we come together, create us to be a city that sits on a hill that cannot be hidden. In Jesus' name, Amen.